0: Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and financial regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, the General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly podcast episodes is to update CII members and the general public on developments in corporate governance and related CII advocacy activities in connection with the administration's initiative to reform the U.S. financial regulatory system. This update covers the period from July 1st to July 30th. So let's get started. On July 9th, CII submitted a letter to the chair and ranking member of the House Financial Services Committee's subcommittee on Investor Protection, Entrepreneurship, and Capital Markets. The letter was submitted in connection with a July 10th hearing entitled Building a Sustainable and Competitive Economy, an Examination of Proposals to Improve Environmental, Social, and Governance Disclosures. In our letter, we supported clearer and more standardized environmental, social, and governance disclosures and encouraged the SEC to do more to promote improvements in the quality of corporate climate change disclosures. We noted that the Commission's 2010 guidance on climate change disclosure was helpful and remains a relevant and useful tool for companies when evaluating their disclosure obligations concerning climate change matters. Our letter also supported requiring disclosure of political spending, in keeping with CII policy, which states, quote, The board should disclose on an annual basis the amounts and recipients of all monetary and non-monetary contributions made by the company during the prior fiscal year, unquote. Our letter concluded by stating that we agree that legislation may be necessary to improve ESG disclosures and that we would advocate that any legislative or rulemaking proposals to improve ESG disclosures be developed in a deliberative manner that balances the needs of investors for reliable and complete information with limiting any unnecessary regulatory burden. On July 10th, the CII sent a letter to the chair and ranking member of the House Financial Services Committee expressing our support for two bills considered at the committee's July 11th markup. In our letter, uh, we expressed general support for H.R. 1018, the Improving Corporate Governance Through Diversity Act, and H.R. 3279, the Diversity and Corporate Leadership Act of 2019. Our letter noted a growing body of evidence indicating that diverse boards can benefit long-term investors. H.R. 1018 would require public companies to annually disclose the voluntarily self-identified gender, race, ethnicity, and veteran status of their board members, nominees, and senior executive officers. It also would require the SEC's Office of Minority and Women Inclusion to publish best practices for compliance with diversity disclosures. H.R. 3279 would require companies disclose to shareholders information about the gender, racial, and ethnic diversity of their boards and require the SEC to establish a diversity advisory group and report annually to the House Financial Services Committee on the company's board diversity data. Our letter indicated the key elements of H.R. 1018 and H.R. 3279 that we supported were one, requiring disclosure of diversity in the proxy statement for directors and board nominees, and two, establishing an advisory council or group to guide companies about strategies to comply with the statutory requirements. The Committee on Financial Services approved H.R. 3279 by a vote of 52 to 6, And they also, on the same day, approved H.R. 1018 by a vote of 53 to 5. Neither bill has yet been voted on by the full House. On July 18th, all of the Republican members of the Senate Banking Committee sent a letter to SEC Chairman Jay Clayton applauding the Commission's spring agency rule list as an ambitious agenda covering a broad range of topics that have received bipartisan support in Congress and expressing support for the SEC's approach to reviewing existing regulations to ensure they are still appropriate given the ever-evolving capital markets. Specifically, the letter encourages the Commission as it considers changes to the Accelerated Filer Definition, Exchange Act Rule 12b-3, which proposes to reduce the number of registrants subject to the auditor attestation requirement, sarbanes Oxley Act, Section 404, to move forward in a way that provides relief to all smaller reporting companies. The letter also expressed their support for the commission consideration of shareholder proposal thresholds, asserting that the current rules governing shareholder proposals have empowered a very small number of individuals with limited investment stakes, if any, to consume corporate boardrooms, increasing the cost of being a publicly traded company. On the same day that the Republican members of the Senate Banking Committee sent their letter to the SEC, we sent a letter to the SEC commenting on their agenda. In our letter, we suggested two items currently listed as long-term actions by the Division of Corporation Finance be advanced to the final rule stage. Those two items were the implementation of the clawback provisions from the Dob-Frank Act, and second, the completion of the Council's universal proxy rule. We also requested that the Commission add to its long-term actions amendments to Rule 10b-5-1 trading plans to help stem opportunities for insider trading and adjustments to Item 402b of Regulation SK to improve the information about pay target metrics presented in the compensation discussion and analysis. In direct conflict with the letter from the Republican member's Senate Banking Committee, our letter asked the SEC to remove from their agenda amendments to Rule 14A-8, the shareholder proposal rule. Our letter also requested the SEC to remove from its agenda any changes to the proxy solicitation exemptions in Rule 14A-2B, which offer proxy advisors relief from costly and time-consuming proxy solicitation filings. Let's now turn to the Securities and Exchange Commission. On July 8th, Allison Lee was sworn into office as the newest SEC commissioner. Ms. Lee was nominated to the SEC by President Donald J. Trump and was unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Ms. Lee has served over a decade of various roles at the SEC, including as counsel to Commissioner Kara Stein, whom she replaces. Commissioner Lee fills a term that expires on June 5, 2022. In other SEC news, on July 16th, the SEC hosted the first of a series of discussions on proxy plumbing issues. Organizers Ted Yu and David Fredrickson of the SEC staff expressed interest in continuing a dialogue with stakeholders on the conversations first started during the SEC's November roundtable on the proxy process. SEC Chair Jay Clayton, who joined the discussion, confirmed the SEC's support for the modernization of the securities infrastructure Commissioner Elad Roesman, who also attended, reiterated the SEC's excitement to work on the project and to continue to gather feedback. Participants in the discussion included CII's Director of Research, Glenn Davis, and many other stakeholders. Both short-term solutions to fixing the current proxy system and a longer-term reconceptualization of the system were discussed. In the short term, many of the stakeholders emphasized the need to assure accurate voting results. Despite disagreement on the need for end-to-end vote confirmation, debate arose over whether pre-reconciliation or post-reconciliation of vote entitlements would be more beneficial. Many argued that pre-reconciliation of positions would best address the issue of vote imbalances, while others argued that post-reconciliation could be valuable for increasing retail investor votes. The panelists also discussed investors' privacy related to objecting beneficial owners, or OBOs, who choose to be anonymous, and non-objecting beneficial owners, or NOBOs, who can be listed at the request of companies. Some complained that NOBO lists are too expensive for companies to compile, while OBOs impede companies' ability to communicate with its shareholders. Most participants agreed that technology can reform the current system and eliminate most of the glitches in proxy mechanics. Many felt this technology should be tested using a pilot program, either with a core group of companies or with an IPO where the initial shares use the new technology. Glenn Davis expressed CII's enthusiasm for changes to the proxy system in both the near-term and long-term, starting with end-to-end vote confirmation and pre-reconciliation. He also expressed CII's support for the implementation of universal proxies. Glenn Davis also recommended that the costs and burdens of obtaining NOBO lists should be addressed rather than scrapping investor choice for privacy. He also commented that in the long term, when looking to new technology, a gradual shift to a better system is the more realistic option. It would require the SEC to provide exemptive relief to circumvent clearing through DTC. The discussion concluded with next steps. The SEC staff proposed creating working groups to address some of the short-term issues before the next proxy season and to think big about changes in the future. The SEC staff also suggested potential working groups on end-to-end vote confirmation and voting entitlement, obo-noble regulations, and proxy distribution fees. On July 18th, on behalf of CII, I participated at an SEC roundtable examining the impact of a short-term focus on our capital markets and our periodic reporting system's role in fostering a long-term focus. In response to a question from the SEC staff, I outlined six SEC requirements relating to the Form 10-Q that are of value to many investors. Those six items include management certification, the independent audit review and the auditor's report, That the 10Q is filed rather than furnished, the complete set of financial statements and footnotes, the management discussion and analysis, and XBRL data tagging. I also warned that eliminating quarterly reports could harm the capital markets and suggested that technology would reduce companies' reporting costs over time. I also indicated that allowing various quarterly reporting options for different companies could produce information asymmetries that would likely make it more difficult for investors to evaluate and compare information within industries for investment decision making. I also suggested that the SEC might consider issuing a statement clarifying that companies are not required to provide quarterly earnings forecasts. And perhaps the SEC could require companies who voluntarily decide to provide quarterly earnings forecasts to disclose why they believe the information is helpful to long-term investors. In response to an SEC staff question on how the commission might foster a long-term focus, I suggested two possible commission actions that could improve shareholders' ability to vote for directors that share their long-term vision. The first suggestion is that the SEC complete its 2016 rulemaking on universal proxy. The second suggestion was that the commission support CII's efforts to impose time-based sunsets for IPO companies with dual-class stock structures with unequal voting rights. Don Pontus, Investment Director of Financial Markets and Sustainable Investments for CalPERS, a CII member, also participated on the panel. He indicated that he favors streamlining quarterly reporting for cost efficiency, but doing so should not translate into cutting information important to investors or reducing the frequency of financial reporting. He also emphasized the need for the SEC to integrate ESG reporting into current disclosures. He explained that ESG reporting is a critical component of monitoring a company's sustainability and long-term performance. July 25th, the SEC Investor Advisory Committee met. At that meeting, the IAC, in a unanimous vote, approved a recommendation to the commission that investors should be able to choose whether to purchase investment research bundled with or unbundled from brokerage services, and that regardless of how the research is purchased, asset managers and broker-dealers should provide more transparency on the cost. That recommendation was an amended version of the IAC Market Structure Subcommittee's recommendation on investment research in a post-MIFID II world. MIFID II refers to European rules adopted last year that bar fund managers from paying for stock research with trading commissions. In its wake, European fund managers have largely absorbed the cost of research, while some U.S. fund managers continue to use bundled commissions. Many U.S. managers worry that they are subsidizing research used by fund managers for European customers. Members of the IEC were enthusiastic about the recommendation, with many praising increased choice and greater transparency. CII has also supported improved disclosure research costs. In a June 26th letter, CII, together with Healthy Markets and the CFA Institute, asked the SEC to improve disclosure research costs to investors. Consistent with CII's 1998 membership-approved policy on guiding principles for trading practices, commission levels, soft dollars, and commission recapture, the joint letter reflected CII's continued support for clarity and transparency of disclosure of brokerage arrangements. The IAC also discussed, but did not take final action, on a draft recommendation to advise the SEC on how to address several proxy plumbing challenges. The draft recommendation, spearheaded by the IEC's Investor-as-Owner Subcommittee Chair John Coates, calls on the SEC to implement four specific initiatives. First, requiring end-to-end vote confirmations, potentially starting with a pilot program with large companies. Second, require cooperation in reconciling vote-related information on a regular schedule, including outside specific votes, to provide a basis for continuously uncovering and remediating flaws in the plumbing system. Third, study investor views on anonymity, including the extent of their participation in privacy decisions under the Oboe Noble system, and share lending, including the extent to which share lending contributes to errors. And fourth, to adopt the universal proxy rule proposed in 2016, with modest changes potentially including a higher solicitation requirement for the dissident to trigger a universal proxy than the 50% of shares proposed by the SEC. On that point, the IAC suggested 67% rather than 50% as proposed. On the same day as the IAC meeting, CII wrote a letter to the SEC to oppose a commission proposal to exempt certain low-revenue public companies from complying with Section 404B of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. Section 404B requires an independent auditor to attest to the effectiveness of internal controls over financial reporting. A letter stated that auditor assurance on internal controls is an important driver of confidence in the integrity of financial statements and the proposed change could significantly affect the ability of investors to make informed investment decisions on companies exempt from 404b. Our letter also cited a comment letter from leading financial reporting experts finding that evidence within the proposal itself suggests that elimination of internal control audits is likely to result in significantly weaker internal controls over the financial reporting system of companies and significantly greater levels of accounting restatements. A letter also indicates that those same accounting experts concluded, and we agree, that the SEC economic analysis behind the proposal was incomplete Quantifying costs of internal control audits to issuers, but not benefits to investors, which independent academic evidence suggests dwarfs the costs. Our letter also cited academic papers as well as research by SEC Commissioner Robert Jackson found that the likelihood of fraud is most pronounced in high growth companies with large price to revenue ratios, which are precisely the companies that the Commission has proposed to exempt from the auditor attestation requirement in the proposal. Finally, on July 29th, C.I. wrote a letter to the SEC in response to the Commission's proposed amendments to financial disclosures about acquired and disposed businesses. In our letter, we noted that the goal of the proposal, which we support, is to improve for investors the financial information about acquired or disposed businesses, facilitate more timely access to capital, and reduce the complexity and cost to prepare disclosures. Our letter indicated that while C.I. supports the goal of the proposal, we cannot support its substance because we believe the proposal's supporting analysis is, at best, incomplete. Our letter details, consistent with the views of Commissioner Robert Jackson, how the proposal's analysis does not adequately consider the potential costs to long-term investors of value-destructive mergers and acquisitions, nor does it address the problems that have been identified with issuers relying on Regulation A. That completes my corporate governance and regulation update for July. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.